The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Everything Sequel presents Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, Part 2. When last we left our fearless frenemies, Tom narrowly avoided defeat on the issue of pair floating by mentioning something that J.J. Abrams did wrong somewhere else, while Mike was struck dumb by George Lucas's predatory costuming of Natalie Portman. Siphodius! Hello and welcome, everyone, to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is attack an Attack of the Clones edition, I'll say. Uh, part two, as Tom just said. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. And, of course, the man giving you the matinee serial introduction himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say Hi. She seems to be on top of things. <laughs> I don't know if you're doing his actual voice or the voice from the Clone Wars anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spo- spoiler alert, before we finish recording this episode, we watched Star Wars The Clone Wars for our watch along yeah. in, in, <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> so uh, everything is colored by that now. Just but fucks also- everything up. But this is also the moment where uh, Hugh McGregor just completely bypasses Alec Guinness and goes straight to Roger Moore. <laughs> I mean, that's an octopusy line if, if ever I heard one. Yeah. <laughs> sounds if there's like one a... man that knows an octopusy line, it's you. Toro sounds like a lot of bull. <laughs> Best Bond cold open ever. Yeah, I like that one. I, I flawless. <laughs> no notes. You, you hear me? No time to die. <laughs> Fake mustaches, tur- cats that turn around. I mean, what more do you want? Oh. A flying car. <laughs> it's got it all. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of flying cars. <laughs> Here we are, part we two. Are, we're yeah. we're back with Attack of the Clones. We are. And when last we left, I believe we had just gotten... It's time for murder, Tom. We, we... Time for murder? <laughs> yeah, we got... we're got. we back on Tatooine. Well, there's a lot that happens before the, the ruthless slaughter of specifically there women is. and children. There is. But... The, targeted, the targeted mass murder of women and children. <laughs> but... But the big note is time to murder some women and children. I, I, under, we'll I, under, there. I understand that, that that would be your takeaway from what happens on Tatooine. <laughs> However, you know, when we, we, we go back in the Naboo cruiser, uh, which again is something that already happened in Phantom Menace. They already went to Tatooine in a Naboo cruiser and now they're doing it they, again. <laughs> I noticed that like they, they really show that thing landing like it's the first time we've ever seen it. <laughs> we saw it exactly one movie ago. Right. <laughs> um, and again, uh, uh, you know, along with the the fact we remarked in the Phantom Menace episode, the, the, the Moss Esper downtown 
the way that that is depicted shows a restraint that Lucas does not have in the special edition for how right. he films the Tatooinean settings. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 like pure OG Star Wars, like pure seventy seven <laughs> pre special edition, you know, barren backgrounds. Like an actual, yeah, right. It looks like an actual desert planet, not a desert planet populated by uh, comedy droids. Muppets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, as as if that wasn't enough, Phantom Menace. We're gonna re-meet Watto. We are. <laughs> now wait, before we re-meet okay. him, yes. I I <laughs> I was having a conversation with friend of the show, Matthew Aldrich. I, I dread to think what he thinks about this film. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I have to tell you. He he was really excited to listen to the episodes and not at all excited to rewatch the movies before mm. he listened to the episodes. And he wanted me to tell you that you're an apologist. Yes, <laughs> I am a prequel he, apologist. He, he wants to say that to your face and that he disapproves. And then he, I, he, I did, own that. he told I, me, I, I think, yesterday that he's never been so bored as when he rewatched The Phantom Menace. Interesting. Yeah. I never I, I never had that problem, I think, with the Phantom Menace just because you know that there's a there's a good set piece that's about on 10, the 15, on the horizon. On the horizon, yeah. about ten, fifteen <laughs> minutes away. So I never I never had that issue with the Phantom Menace. There's always some I mean, in terms of like fantasy world building, there's always something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, boredom has never been my I don't entirely disagree with you. Yeah, more confusion for me. (laughs) Visible confusion, but, but um... Baffled. I'm baffled as I watch these movies sometimes. But it's full of choices, and and those choices, I would say, are diverting. (laughs) Diplomatic. (laughs) All right, back to it. Aggressive negotiations, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we meet Watto. Yes, we do, and again, or re-meet is, Watto. This is the be- best example, I think, in the movie of George George Lucas's uh, simultaneous do-over and double-down because he's he's a more understated character, and yet somehow more anti-Semitic. Yeah, <laughs> they've given him. They were like, they were like, you know what? I'm not sure the anti-Semitism is reading. Let's give him a Jewish hat. <laughs> right, and. But the character, is, the character has a melancholy about it that yeah, he didn't so, have in Phantom Menace. And it, 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 without ever saying it, yeah. it feels as though he has fallen on hard times. Sure. And then I will also say that the moment Anakin comes up and says, "Let here, let me help you with that, and he tra- starts trying to figure something out, the CGI on Watto in that moment is really actually quite fantastic because mm-hmm. he has that moment within his eyes that mm-hmm. he's registering that it is Anakin. Yeah, and it's actually quite striking. It's it's really really good work. And there is, I dare say, an underlying menace, a phantom menace, if you will, in <laughs> in this scene as to what Anakin's gonna do. And yeah, 
I don't you know it's partly the voice acting partly as you say the the animation but you know Watto's reaction is clearly is he gonna throttle me hurt me is hurt he gonna me. kill yeah. me is he gonna snap my neck right here right here and now and it all reads and but no one's really saying it but mm -hmm. clearly the power dynamics have changed and everyone is everyone is playing that it's being directed that way it's being animated that way yeah um, so I really like it, but when I, you know, I feel like, I feel like I could do a screen grab and put it alongside Alec Guinness's Fagin in the original Oliver Twist and it would, you know, you could literally match the faces. <laughs> right. So it's, it, again, it's like, it's that. Well, that you have, you almost half expect a, uh, some sort of song from Fiddler on the Roof to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> burst from this yes. terrible creature and is wearing his hat. Yeah. So we've had a so that's a that's a big chunk of, of Phantom Menace callbacks and then we we mm -hmm. we cut away to a big chunk of Empire Strikes Back fault. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Right. Callbacks because but we're it, in an asteroid field. We're in an asteroid field but we have that kind of classic sequel one-upmanship. Mhm. Mm because we've got these sort of you know, they kind of feel like depth charges. You know, so it, it feels like they're kind of adding some Star Trek, some some, yeah. some Navy battle shit from Star Trek, you know? That's true. That's but I also I also think it's a it I really like the effect. I think it's a like especially the sound. The sound to me is really cool. I like the sequence. I mean, again, the problem with it is is a is a prequel problem of, you know, a, a lot of a lot of things that happen in future movies originate here in a short period of time mm -hmm. you know this is what alex robinson on star wars minute calls the indiana phoenix problem <laughs> that it, it you know in prequels everyone gets their defining characteristics in a matter of minutes sure and this so this is where boba fett decide you know learns the trick of hiding on the asteroid and yeah from obi-wan right. and you know it's so you're like you're like oh okay like I get it, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand what this will lead to, but it, you know, it, it's still a bit. It's also still a bit theme park ride, but it feels like it has real stakes and a connection to the story. Like you know, the, the we're following the pursuit story mm -hmm. that Obi Wan's on. Yeah, he's still solving his mystery. He's solving his mystery, and if this guy gets away, it's going to be a big setback. So it's right. It's kind of. In some ways, it reminds me stylistically of the underwater scenes from Phantom mm. Menace, especially because there's transparent bubble explosions. Sure. It's clearly an effect they hold in reserve whenever they feel like they need to throw something in. But it's the opposite in just like, it feels like it has stakes and, and a drive and a direction. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of appreciate it. It's definitely an upgrade. From, yeah. from that. Yeah, I mean, even though I, it's know, sort of covering the same ground of. Yeah, like, I was just going to say that it, despite the fact that it feels repetitive, mm -hmm. and like you said, and I think we, well, maybe we were talking about this for the, the Clone Wars episode. <laughs> it's just this idea. To tell anymore. Yeah, there's just that that idea that everything is has to find a connection yeah. to a connection mm -hmm. to a connection. Right. And you don't have to do that, but, no. you know. You really don't. But, you know, having said that, I think there's still some good-looking effects. And like I said, I like the sound work. And and as part of the case of Obi-Wan, yeah. it, all, it all reads and makes sense. 
Exactly. I com- I completely agree. Then we go back. We we go back. We're in deja vu territory here, and it totally, continues. Totally, yeah. When they get to the homestead, the Lars homestead and, on Tatooine, and you, you see C three PO. You see C three PO, and you get those kind of widescreen vistas that mm-hmm. you know George Luke. George Lucas has in the original Star Wars that I guess is a sort of tribute to to the sort of cinemascope era to directors right. like John Ford and. Nicholas Ray, that kind of look. It's an but really what le- bothers really me? Le- <laughs> okay. well, yeah, there's just yeah. sort of this. The second I see C3PO, I think, what is George thinking? Because there's no sense that he was made, born, and lived on Tatooine, and including going yeah. to the very place that he goes to in Star Wars for the first time. I mean, we know he has his mind wiped. But well, R2 yeah, but, didn't. But, but and R- we talked about this before, but... R2 didn't, and crucially, Laws didn't. Yeah, right. Why doesn't exactly. he remember this droid? Why doesn't he remember this person? Uh, Not this person, but this, a, this droid yeah. that... Well, that's it. That she, I think that's You the look key. familiar to me. I think, it. you know, Lucas is resting on the assumption that he's such a droid racist that he wouldn't know one, one protocol droid from another. Maybe. But that's all subtext. That's... That it, I, I, it could equally be that they that he just forgot that this that that by putting C three O C three PO here, it fucks yeah, to everything me, up. To, in the to me, it reads more like George forgot what was in his first fucking movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, that's you know? yeah. That's what I mean. It's kind of in, and it's interesting. Like that C three PO is doing the job that Owen, Uncle Owen gets him to do next in, in the original Star Wars. Like, right. he's, he's basically saying, you know, every you know when, when he asks him for his resume in the Jawa scene, mm-hmm. he's basically asking to do what he's doing now. So, yeah. if that <laughs> doesn't jog Owen's memory... Nothing will. Nothing, absolutely nothing will. I didn't mean <laughs> to say Lars, sorry. I meant to say Uncle Owen um, would remember. Oh, yeah, Lars, you said Lars. Lars, Lars, is, yeah. Lars is... Yeah, Lars is... Wait a minute. Is Lars their first name or the last name? I don't know. Oh, is it Owen Lars? Yeah, maybe. Why are they all Danish as well? <laughs> Why do they all have Danish <laughs> names? Or played by Danish actors? Don't understand. Oh, that's great. I always liked the... Uh, there was like a packaging of a Star Wars toy that said Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. <laughs> it was just two burned <laughs> skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> That speaks to my morbid sense of humor. Absolutely, uh, and that's you know that's all here. The 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 foreshadow of that is all here. I think you know how mm-hmm. disconnected they are out there in the desert. What's happened to Shmi in the interim? You know sure. that's a foreshadow of of that kind of uh, frontier danger that is part of the space western aspect of of Star Wars mm-hmm. um, that was there in the in the original. And you know, and it's, I, kinda, I, I, it's I like driven it. home once you realize that she was kidnapped and yeah, just looking for. She was just trying to gathering some mushrooms. Yeah, right. Some... <laughs> like so many of us, it's every time I think I understand the um, the the kind of farm economy of of Tatooine. They throw in another wrinkle. I'm like, so do they sell the mushrooms? Is that how they make their money, or mm-hmm. <laughs> are they are they selling water? Are they 
like evaporating water, or are they? What are they doing? Like, what, well, what, what I are also, they trying, I think, what's it's... their ultimate? What's their ultimate products? Is what I want to know. <laughs> I just think it's also. I, it always struck me as funny because you know, what <laughs> what mushrooms need more than anything is darkness and water. Yeah. And here she is looking for mushrooms on this desert planet. <laughs> Nothing right, but sun. Yeah. No water. Well, it's growing on. It's it's a. I mean, it does happen. It happens. It used to happen in my backyard. The in summer, they would get mushrooms from the water cooling down. The you know, if like the um, water drying quickly, and it would leave mushrooms. All right then. They're, they're, I stand corrected. <laughs> in turn. <laughs> In terms of nature, they're correct, but it does it, it complicates the economics of what they're mm-hmm. actually farming. It's interesting as well. Like I, I mean, we, I think we disagree on this slightly, but for me, Phantom Menace always felt centuries away from Star Wars, but this feels like we're within touching distance of seventy-seven Star Wars. I mean, not least because they recreated the whole thing from scratch. I mean, they went back right. and you know, they used actual. Uh, still production stills to to remake. Were they the at the same site? I believe so, or at the very least, they you know they, they literally they rebuilt it exactly as it was for the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll agree with you that I I think it falls in and out by the time he's on his speeder and you know sunset riding around, yeah. you lose that sense of oh, of what you're that. talking about. But when they're I love that sequence. I just don't think it looks as as But that's more the, of a cool, the, I don't think yeah. it has the reality that you're talking no, about when, when he's at the homestead. But it, i mean that that's So I think it's a, uneven in that way. Yeah. But that is that's more of a callback to Phantom Menace because you assume that, that because of this the same backdrops of, of the pod race, right? You were supposed mm-hmm. to think that, you know, it just should, it's like time catching up with Yeah. The last time he he travelled this land he was a, a you know a carefree child and now he's a crazed a would-be murderer a would yeah he's he's about to go and commit <laughs> some mass murder yeah but i do agree with you i think it harkens back to to the original star wars in parts like when he's traveling around when he's talking to the jawas and you know yeah. that kind of thing that it and it also feels like the mandalorian borrowed from that agreed yeah. So, you know, there there's some Although, good stuff in there. There is. Although nothing will be that I think it's the first episode of the second season of The Mandalorian where he's going along on a speeder and in profile and then Timothy Oliphant comes by in a in a pod like a right. a pod <laughs> that's like noticeably more phallic than what the what the what, what the Mandalorian's riding. It's probably my favorite moment of TV Star Wars. That's great, and yeah, I, I, every everything I think I think it reverts to a more classical Hollywood filming style, like the the mm. the, the, the the silhouette moment when you when yeah. you just see Padme and Anakin in silhouette. It's like I'm sure that's a reference to some Hollywood film somewhere. It also makes me think a little bit of the well, poster that we talked about with the Darth Vader shadow. Yeah, right. It it's makes me like, think of that. It also makes me think of Luke looking at the two sons. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. You're you're adding a character and it's a different emotional moment, but yeah, I think it I think it harkens back to that. Definitely, and you know I I'm I'm I I think it was the right choice to 
I guess, psychologically use Anakin's guilt about his mother as the driving force for his turn to evil. And I think this works a lot better to me than, than the sort of fear of losing Padme in the next film. I think I think as a device mm-hmm. to sort of get him closer to Vader, this to me is much more psychologically plausible than, than the Padme. Or at least they should have shown that it was two sides of the same coin. They te- In the movies, right. they seem entirely separate. They do. But I also... Because I agree with you in spirit. <laughs> in Force Ghost. Yeah, yeah, in Force Ghost. But, be, you know, I, I've always had a hard time. And, you know, it, it part of it feels tacked on because there's been 10 years. And really all we get is at the beginning of this movie saying, so you still having those nightmares? Don't worry, you know, let go of your fear. Well, yeah, but I mean, he's got other stuff to do. And we, all that stuff we learned about in the elevator, you know, yeah, that's exactly. been occupying his mind. But rescuing I, I guess Obi-Wan from part, a part of it, too, of part of it too, is is the dickishness of the Jedi Knights. You know, they're sure. you, in, until these sets of movies, you didn't really have a sense of what pieces of shit they are. You no. just can't see your, you can't well, see your mother ever again. Yeah, I, I mean, and that you, just doesn't seem to jive with with yeah, you know, only how, Obi-Wan. for for the morality that we carry within ourselves. Of course, he should have been allowed to check up on her, maybe even help her in some way, but he didn't. And so, and all, all, I ha- all I have, all I have, to me, it, at the beginning of this movie, it always feels as though. Somebody said, George, why does he care now? And he goes, well, we'll just add a line about he's having nightmares. Mm. But I think it's that 10 year, it's that, that 10 years where, you know, he trusted the Jedi that he should walk away from that. And then, you know, in his absence, she's killed. And I think it's that guilt that then turns into, you know, rage and murder. Mm hmm. And I think that it that to me is sort of like it's the turning point. But then they walk back, walk that back as the turning point. And to me, that's the the part of it that doesn't track for me. Like, mm-hmm. I like the idea that he gets away with this because, in context, it's it's kind of a it, it you know it obviously goes beyond self defense, but it's still within the realms of you know justifiable revenge. Just about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I like I like the way that that's morally pitched. And it just seems like, you know, the, the next... Well, we'll talk about it, how successful it is in the next movie when we get there. But mm-hmm. I think it's much less successful. As a, I as agree, a, yeah. As a sort of... As the kind of... The, the straw that breaks the camel's back. I think this should be the straws that breaks the camel's back. And then from this point onwards... um. It's it's a kind of straight I do th- line. Yeah, I I agree with you in the sense of this should be the the straw that breaks the camel's back and and then he he carries it with him. Yeah, and then he goes out goes into war and he can just murder people and no one says anything. You know, no, yeah, says, right. Good job, well done. You murdered all those people. Well, see, Fantastic. I think it lends to That's my argument. To do. <laughs> I also think it lends to my argument from before. It's this thing that he carries around. That maybe the other Jedi should be able to feel, but they can't. Well, Yoda feels it. No, I know, I know, yeah. but I'm saying. I think it would be cool if 
if Vader was powerful enough that he could keep a secret. <laughs> that he just carries it with him. Yeah. And kind of playing the duality of of I'm a Jedi, but really I'm 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 walking a different path. I see a I see a better way, and the better way might be the dark side. Mm. Yeah. I like that. I wish it was more present in, say, the rest of this movie and then end of the next movie, but... Yeah. Because they just, they don't do that. Although I kind of like that, you know, war gets in the way and then, you know, everyone kind of forgets what happened because, you know, that's uh, that, that dramatically makes sense to I'll me. I'll tell you who like... shouldn't forget what happened. Padme. <laughs> yeah. He makes that confession. She's like, yeah, we all got problems. You know, we get frustrated, bro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's not, it's not very, that part of it, I agree, is not very well handled where she, you know, when someone tells you that they've committed mass murder, you, you, your first instinct shouldn't be to go over and hug them. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? you know, You're my like, guy. Yeah. But again, it's like, you know, you've got the buffer of, you know, in quotes, the sand people, right? It's like, they're not mm -hmm. really people. These droids are not really people. You mm -hmm. know, it's all this kind of, it's all this kind of subhuman deniability that is clearly present in the galaxy. It's like, there's an undercurrent sure. of it everywhere in the galaxy. And it, it kind of feeds into everyone's reaction to everything, but we never talk about it. Right. Apart from in that but scene I also... in Dexter's diner. <laughs> <laughs> but I also there's one moment within all of this that always makes me think well no wonder he turns into Vader he's such a piece of shit and it's when his mom dies mm. and Shmi her like head falls back with her slack jaw open and he yeah. just does he doesn't even cradle her head Tom he just like he just lets her slack jaw back with that uncomfortable position I always think what a dick you're a bad son <laughs> Be a little more caring of your poor dead mom. Yeah, I we haven't even discussed what like what do you think of the of the sort of the her remarrying and then inheriting two a, new or well a, a stepson and a yeah stepson daughter in law and a, a daughter in law and then that's Uncle Owen and Aunt Brewwood right. Apart from the it doesn't bump me apart from the ages and the C three PO. Uh, the C-3PO of it all discontinuity, is, yeah. is is a bad idea. Although you mentioned Star Trek in the asteroid field. I think there's a bit of Star Trek, uh, the opening of Star Trek V, when we find C-3PO in the desert, like turning, like looking for water. <laughs> turning that height. That, that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Expecting a, you know, an overacting horse to appear. To, to, right, exactly. To be trotting in the distance. <laughs> a Shatner horse, yeah. Shatner. Uh, it doesn't really bump me, though. I, no. I, you know, it all, I've never I, had I, an issue with this. I think yeah. it, it, it... I also... And again, it, it's up it, to the next movie to account for why... Why they automatically go to them to bring up Luke, and they don't. Like, they specifically don't. And as mm -hmm. far as I can tell, because I, Lucas... They went to Tunisia here, and before they left, they filmed the final scene of Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. And there's the behind-the-scene footage of, like, uh, in the making of, of George Luke, you know, the the guy behind the camera's like, what are you doing there, George? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm just filming a scene for uh, Revenge of the Sith. As in, like, what's the scene? It's like, can't tell you. 
it's like well what what happens if <laughs> it's sort of like why are you doing that it's like because I, I don't want to come back i don't want to have to come back just for this one shot <laughs> again doesn't want to leave his house doesn't want to leave his home uh, but that, because of that sort of, and the, you know, in the sense of it, you're like, oh, that's great, you know, that's great production economy because you're saving a lot of time and resources yeah, right. and money. But sure. at the same time, we do need some explanation as to why Obi Wan thinks I know. <laughs> I mean, Yoda suggests it, mm-hmm. but I think we need more than like, I think we need to, uh, sort of like why that would. Do be we a great need more? Because we know it's going to happen anyway. We know it's going to happen anyway, but I'd like some sense of why they pick. Because you know, Space Jimmy Smiths is giving us. Pl- he's like, oh, you know, my wife can't conceive, and we, we so, yeah, that's and, true. You know, and she'll be safe there. It's this peaceful planet, and blah blah blah. And then it's just like, uh, don't do what you want with the boy. Just get him out of here. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You're right about that part. So, but the, the ever... setup of it, I always, I always thought, yeah, that tracks to me. I mean, they're way too young, but then so's Obi Wan. So, you know, mm-hmm. what's it's, it's like, yeah, that's a problem, but it's a continual problem. Yeah. Next, I have uh, Obi Wan's overhearing Dooku's plan, isn't he? Yeah, he goes into, um, he goes into, uh, he lands on Geonosis, and we get a very inauspicious introduction for Christopher Lee as the mysterious Count Dooku. Mm-hmm. Just in the background, surrounded by CGI robots and monsters, <laughs> and we kind of then we sort of go into a separatist board meeting, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. With, uh, which to which seems like a support group for aliens who all have some kind of annoying tick or habit. <laughs> like the like, my my name is Watt Tambor, and I can't control the tone of my voice. <laughs> I walk. <laughs> I do this so that I don't sound like some sort of racist stereotype. <laughs> um, but we're already getting the sense that Christopher Lee is going to be, you know, a smoother, more charismatic villain than than we've had so far in in any either of the previous yeah. films. And I, like I said, it, like I think Django is 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 a great henchman. So we got it. We've got a you know, a pair mm-hmm. of pretty right, right, decent, right, right. decent adversaries here after a movie where we, you know, we had a, a racist alien and a, and uh, like a, you know, a <laughs> devil man. Right. Uh, and so, the devil man wasn't given nearly enough to do. And they humanize as well. Like the, it's like, it's, yeah, you know, the, right. the humans have human villains and I think it always works better that way mm-hmm. in Star Wars. Well, and also, well, I don't think we're there yet, but there, there's a moment for Count Dooku when he's, when Obi-Wan is caught. Mm. Oh, and, well, spoiler well, alert, my favorite scene in the film. Yeah, me too. By a mile. <laughs> I mean, yeah. His acting is so incredible in that moment. It's just... You actually think, well, okay, maybe I should be with Count Dooku. Well, so when he's talking well, about, I really wish Qui Gon was here so I could talk to my old friend. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, well, also the scene is they say it's two British actors try each trying to out understate the other. <laughs> right. It reminds me of uh, what Eddie Izzard used to say about the difference between American and British films. That you American films, just, you fuck my wife, you fuck my wife, you fuck my wife. <laughs> And then British films are just people going into rooms and going, oh, 
Oh, I, I think I better leave. Yes, I think you better had. And this is definitely the last. Yeah, one. I'm not done yet. <laughs> I mean, the way the way he comes in, and again, we've not really we've not really seen him outside of this. You know, outside of a being surrounded by computer animated creatures. Right. The his first kind of human interaction. He comes into the room and immediately is like, my friend, there's been a terrible mistake. And I just, yeah, I'm, right. like, I'm in from that moment because it's <laughs> <I> like, <laughs> I'm like, whatever this ruse is, I think it's it's great. And I'm got, into it. They've got Obi-Wan awkwardly suspended in midair right. in some yeah. kind of force field. And he, he's saying, well, I hope it'll be quick. I need to get out of here. And it's just <laughs> so well done. It feels like it reminds me, and I I think George Lucas might be conscious of this, because I'm sure he's a fan. It reminds me of, like, Hammer Horror movies, where, you know, it's gothic schlock, but there's a lot of polite conversation <laughs> between, <laughs> between yeah, right. people. Like, it's yeah. kind of refined, um, like, portraying much darker depths, obviously, but on the surface, this conversation is, is very <laughs> civil and polite. And there's, uh, there's Won't you all please yeah. sit down to dinner? But it also it like it doesn't ramp up into violence or aggression at all. Like the end, mm-hmm. the scene ends exactly as it begins. That's I think the, that's one of the things I love about it is that like you know he leaves the room with with his ruse intact so far as yeah. he can tell. You know, he, and I well, love he, that. His exit line is something like "It may be difficult to secure your release." Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, it's like we've gone nowhere, right? But it's so, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like real, again, like when you get real acting Mm -hmm. between good actors in this movie, and there's another scene in in Sith, which that's the thing, because you you realize that's one of the reasons I love the scene so much is because you have two really good or great actors doing really good work. Yeah, and you don't get a lot of that in these movies, and so when it happens, you sort of sit up immediately, and you're, you know, you lean in. And I mean, it, it's still confusing, right? Because we're not supposed to know at this point that he's with Palpatine. They saved that for the very end of the movie, so I guess. But there was never could... a moment where I didn't think he wasn't. <laughs> But he, but also with but, Palpatine. But, but what he's, it doesn't make sense. Like why he's, what game he's playing with Obi Wan? Because does he want Obi Wan to think he's a he's a separatist and he's he's a separatist? So he's left the Jedi, but he's also anti Sith. Because that's what he's telling him. Mm-hmm. Is this just to keep Palpatine's identity? ultimately secret is that the to so that they leave the movie going oh, well you know, and we never you know, know what we because... thought about that mysterious sith lord it was just dooku it's not is yeah, that the, well, game? the other th- the, the other thing about the sis is one's always trying to kill the other and so maybe he's playing that game as well yeah where he thinks he's going to get over on palpatine and of course palpatine has other ideas yeah so and so the content of it of it is confusing, but I think the tone and the style of of the of the scene is <laughs> is kind of perfect. I, I wrote down Obi Wan is captured in floating S and M lightning cuffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's trying to you know it's interesting as well because he's trying to convert Obi Wan to his cause and yeah. you know we they connect. The, I think it's. Like almost like the best use of Qui Gon is after he's dead. 
dramatically. Yeah, right. It's in the, this scene where he says, you know, quite he basically says Qui-Gon was a bit of a rebel. I think, you know, if he was alive today, he'd be, you know, he'd sympathize he'd be on with our me side, rather, yeah. rather than you. And, I'm, and, you know, whenever I hear that, I think, you know, that's, I think, as he's established in Phantom Menace, that's probably true. Well, and I, because there's that part of it. And then speaking to what you were saying just a minute ago, because he, he, you know, he he does at least give up the name of Darth Sidious. He he does hmm. say this powerful dark lord is he's up to some shit. But he's saying he's he's claiming that he's his enemy, not his ally. Yeah, right. And I don't understand why he's doing that. For, for like, who he's trying? I don't understand who he's trying to fool. The fool or the fool who follows the fool. I don't. I don't mm. like. I don't. It. I don't think. I think when you break it down and. I don't think you should, but I think if you tried to break it down, it wouldn't track at all. I don't know. I I, I just I think he's just trying to fool Obi Wan, but you know that's the that's but, the thing about a, a you know a, a good lie end? usually has some truth in it. Yeah, but but then then I'm like, well, does New Gunray is he does New Gunray think Darth Sidious betrayed him or not, or does he know that? People are yeah, going he doesn't around. seem he doesn't seem to know. I know, but 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 at the end of at the end of Sith, he's you know he's talking to Palpatine again. I know. So is he, is Palpatine like? Look, I'm going to be saying these things about how you don't know what's going on. So just pretend you don't know what's going on, okay? It's like yes, yeah, everything will be fine. Yeah, and everything <laughs> will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, I forgot to turn off the hologram. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, it's all very muddy, and, and we haven't even mentioned Cypher Dias and how the hell he plays into this. So, <laughs> just making the point that I'm not saying this is I'm not saying this is good writing on that level, but it's good uh, it's good filmmaking in terms mm-hmm. of how the actors are used and how the scenes. Oh yeah, are set I agree. Um, and it's a real highlight for me dramatically. I won't disagree. In a sort of you know celebration of all things British yeah. in cinema. Oh, I have the note of what Padme said. To be angry is to be human. That's what she says after he says, I killed the women and the children. Yeah, to be angry is to be human. I, it, that, You're not going to be human for much longer. But th- That's only an appropriate response if it's like if you're hard of hearing in one ear. And Anakin's like, oh, I forgot you can't hear in that ear. And he goes yeah. to the other and says, I killed women and children. Right. <laughs> That's that's what you say when maybe you got frustrated with your kids and you raised your voice a little too loud. I love. Say, this, go to your room. It's interesting because yeah, to I, be angry is to be human. I get that it. I I like I I get I get that part of the scene that her reaction there needs to be something on that side as well. There needs to be some sense that alarm bells are ringing. Yeah, because there isn't. There's there, there isn't, are no, no, and that's yeah, a, that's, that's a real, the problem. That's a real oversight because I could buy that alarm bells are ringing, but she loves him so much she's willing to sort of exactly to like to tolerate it because it's just the sand people. Not even tolerate it, maybe fix it. Like yeah, you know, right. th- through love I can like, make him better. Yeah, like a kind of domestic abuse situation. Right. Yeah. On the other side, I really, I really like how it's handled in terms. I, I really like that they go as far as him admitting it, like every single shitty thing he did. In turn, I really like that. I always really like that moment. That was my big takeaway from my first viewing mm. of the film. That I thought it was a, I, I thought it was a very brave piece of 
writing. And I really thought from this point onwards, you know, we were, we, you know, we'd set Vader up. We'd set the transition to Vader up so well. But everything they do between then yeah, and the actual now transition and, and the, walks yeah, right. all of that back and resets it. And I guess Clone Wars makes it even worse because he has to be like a hero for those for those episodes. Mm-hmm. And the strains of, you know, the Vader theme in there. Sure. There's a there's a horrible sort of meta moment in the middle of all this where they say there's <laughs> this droid this droid has a message for you from an Obi Wan Kenobi. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. come on, yeah, it's like we get it, all right? It's another, you know, it's R2 submitting another message for Obi Wan Kenobi. I understand. Yeah, we um, we all get it. Yeah, we we all we all we all understand. Maybe it was things like that that annoyed the fans. Um, I would I can understand that. What do you think of this moment of him in front of his her grave and he says, "I wasn't strong enough to save you." Uh, about his mother. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's I like that. I think it's uh, you know. Again, I I feel like that's the. That's the the uh, the trigger moment of where he's like, okay, I'm never gonna be weak again, you know. Mm-hmm. I like, like in, the idea. Like in, <laughs> in Better Call Saul, where he's like, you know, it's like very early on where, he drives up to, to Mike and says, you know, we left money on the table. Let's never do that again. Right. It's a kind of similar. And it's like there, there you go. There's the origins of there's the origins of Saul Goodman right there. Sure. Although, and while you know Padme is distressingly passive in her reaction to Anakin's mm-hmm. mass murder. I like the way that she kind of takes control, becomes a bit more Leia-like with taking control of the ship, where she's just like, I'm in charge here. I've decided we're going to go and rescue rescue Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, you have to uh, follow me. Yeah. Uh, and that's like, where I'm going. And you're sort of like, okay, now I see the family resemblance. Now I see, you know, for the first time I'm seeing how this could be Leia's mother. Leia's mother, right. But it comes out organically in the plot because, you know, mm-hmm. they've got a choice to make. Do they listen to the Jedis and stay, stay put or, is she's, or you know, is, is she going to pull rank and uh, they go and rescue Obi-Wan? So I like that they're, you know, being being rebels. No, yeah, I like that. Against, against the Jedi who, <laughs> who are traditionally the heroes, but not in this story. They're definitely the villains of this story. Oh, they, they're, they're so terrible. Well, and then they're—that's—that's that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna go to the planet and uh, well, <laughs> start some shit, right? Well, in between this, something very important happens. Uh, Jar Jar condemns the galaxy. Oh yeah, you're right. I have it right here. Years. I just wrote Palpatine gets his powers thanks to Jar Jar. <laughs> Suddenly, Jar Jar's stupidity no longer feels like an asset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's basically duped into. Light, I would say lightly duped. They don't have to work very hard. They don't have to work hard at all. No, yeah. And then, do you think uh, that's a bit of a fuck you from Lucas? Yeah. I, again, I think it's the do over double down. Right. Yeah. Synchronicity. It's sort of like, you know, Jaja's going to be the most important. He's not going to be in this movie very much, but he's going to have yeah. one of the most pivotal. Yeah. He's going right. to. He's going to. But he's going to do one of the most pivotal things in the movie. I'll make him the villain for you, but. Then you you know you're gonna have to admit and say out loud that Jar Jar is the most important character in this trilogy. 
<laughs> it's like George Lucas fucked you from both sides, you know? Right. I mean, I think it's hilarious. It always makes me laugh because uh, it's such a it is such a meta choice in that sense. Plus, literally, just watching him think been anyone. Yeah, watching Jar Jar think mm-hmm. is always kind of d- deliciously terrible. You need that Homer Simpson brain. Yeah, exactly. Cartoon. Because you need the the cartoon cows in there. You know, fame fiddles. Because I guess the, what the am I saying? He's of... already a cartoon cow. Why would there yeah? Be... Well, the <laughs> the genius of it is is that as as the sen- as Palpatine is talking, and they're just showing Jar Jar and Jar Jar's mm. thinking in your mind, you start going. Misa can help the Palpatine. Yeah, you like you start speaking as his thoughts in your own mind. I, I gotta say, it's such I, a great I, fuck you that George put together yeah. there. I I would love it if the one instance of interior monologue in the entire like Star Wars uh, Skywalker saga Canon. is Judge is Judge Jar Binks going Misa gonna help Palpatine. <laughs> like the one time it becomes like David Lynch's Dune is for yeah. that sole reason. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, that's fantastic. And then, you know, Ian McDermott has a great moment when he accepts the, mm-hmm. what do they call it? The uh, martial law, essentially. Emergency sort of, powers. Emergency powers, that's it. And he's, oh, I love democracy. Yeah. Uh, it's just, again, it's just a. <laughs> I love. I love the. I promise to give these powers back as soon as it's possible, or whatever think, he says. I think he. I probably he saw what Christopher Lee and Ewan McGregor were doing in that scene, and they were like, "No, I'm gonna out. <laughs> I'm gonna out understate them." Okay, I'm the most British person in this film. <laughs> That's because great. Because it, it's it's so. Um, it's just, you know, we know how disingenuous it is, but, you know, you, you, you get a sense that you would buy it, right? You would you mm-hmm. would sort of buy it as real emotion if you didn't know. Yeah. This next part, this next yeah. scene is, it's the, <laughs> it's the set piece before the set piece. And it's my least favorite part of the movie. You're talking about the droid factory. Yeah. Yeah. It's my least part, least favorite part of the movie as well, and oh, I don't think you. It's a I don't train wreck. I don't think you'd be surprised to learn that it's a it's a reshoot. That that is not surprising. It's a, it was a complete add-on. They felt they were missing something, missing some. Action. They weren't. They weren't. No, and you know what? You know what? The most ironic part of it is when they um, when they released this movie, they had an IMAX version, and at the time, mm-hmm. IMAX movies couldn't be over two hours so they had to cut like i don't know 10 15 minutes out of the movie and um one of the they cut scenes this that whole thing was the droid factory and everyone who saw that you know it's generally far more favorable towards the movie and uh they That's only cut funny. like 10 like 10 or so minutes out of it and most of it was the droid factory so the the reason i don't hold it against the movie is that whenever i watch it and even before i knew it's so clearly a reshot scene Mm-hmm. Like we're missing. It's like oh, we're missing something. We're missing something here in the pacing. You know, the studio note or something. Right. Yeah. And I have a soft spot for it because of Droid Tales, um, the Lego Star Wars Droid Tales, uh, mm. which, by the way, if you've not seen, 
and you in any way interested in in Star Wars or the prequels, my God, it, it, it's essential viewing because it's okay. it's the the Skywalker saga as retold by um through C three PO's memory of what happened. Okay. And it begins. It begins at the end of Return. Of I the lost Jedi, an which... arm. I got yeah. blown to pieces. I got my eye torn out. But you. Know, but for this scene, when when we get at the droid factory scene, uh, it it turns into a um, early nineties thirty two bit video game, done entirely in profile with pixelated graphics and like a flying R two picking up top picking up uh, coins. As it goes I, that's, so that's funny you say that because one of the things that just I didn't really realize it until maybe this viewing, but one of the things that just drives me nuts is I, I didn't realize how much I never wanted to see CGI C3PO mm. or R2D2 until I watched this scene. Yeah. It feels so terribly out of place R2 to watch flying... C3PO. You know, bouncing around and hanging on by his, the skin of his teeth, well, off it's, of it's, uh, different yeah. ledges and shit. To me, it's I mean, you know, all those, all the, uh, all the one-liners are really weak. Mm-hmm. That's what I hold against it more. And actually, I would leave in R two flying with the rockets. I like that moment. I think it's a nice sort of, uh, kind of addition. Reveal. Yeah, I think it's a like. <laughs> I, I think you could have kept that in and just still gone more or less to the straight into the the monster movie part of of the film. Okay, um, fine. Because you could have. I have to admit, is, like, it's the C three PO that bothers me more than the R two. Yeah, I've never had an issue with you know they fly now, except that once again I'm a little frustrated that we can't entirely blame J J Abrams for 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 <laughs> they fly now because it it started with this. Um, right, it. I mean, and it, you know, as we've seen this, we've been tracking this. You know, the number of times that sequels' idea of up in the ante is to make a character fly when they couldn't fly before. Sure. Um, and it does reek of sequel desperation for sure. Yeah, uh, adding flight to the skills of the skills of the characters. <laughs> I put poor Natalie Portman dodging CGI presses. Yeah. It's, you know, it was an egregious reshoot for gamer audiences, right? Maybe, yeah. And the only reason the only reason that, you know, it makes me chuckle is because I'm thinking of the Droid Tales version where they, you know, they actually turn it into a video game. And it's very, it's very, very funny. That's and it good. it all, all makes complete sense. And it's Star Wars having, you know, laughing at its own... Fun of itself, yeah. Yeah, making fun of itself, which uh, only really Lego Star Wars has been able to do. Mm-hmm. I, I always felt there was more to learn about R two D two. Who's to who's to say? You know, we we find he gets a new like a new. We see a new thing come out of him every movie. What was wrong with what's wrong with rockets? And then over yeah. time, the rockets fail. Sure, I buy it. I'd like to see them point instead of down, point out, and then missiles come out of them as well. <laughs> so now that he flies, he has to do everything. Yeah, he has to. Now that he flies, he has to like be able to brew coffee and yeah, all kinds, like... <laughs> all kinds of make a cake. Maybe that's why the pancake flipping droid was uh, so pissed. 
was so pissed with him. He he was like, he knows he can make a better omelet than him. I know what you can do. Get the fuck out of here. This is my job. <laughs> I'm specifically designed for flipping pancakes. Yeah. Oh, another thing that bothers me, because then they get captured and Padme confesses her love. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the romance novella part of the movie, isn't it? You There's know. never a time I ever see that moment and think, why? Why would you love that man? Sure. Well, yeah. There should be some accounting for that, but... Well, she is in love with him. He's been such a piece of shit. Yeah, she, I mean, she, we, we know she's fallen in love with him. Yeah, I mean, floating pairs. I like the way that they, that you know, after they kiss, they go out into the arena. Like, you know, it reminds mm-hmm. me of like a scene from spartacus or you know if you don't like taste in your films gladiator (laughs) now that we can agree on (laughs) i thought i was the only one for those of you who don't like quality filmmaking gladiator (laughs) (laughs) or the robe or any of those hollywood epics that's definitely a part of the aesthetic of of the scenes that are um coming up well i think it's deliberate Harking oh, back. very much. And what what a couple of years it was for Christopher Lee, like standing on CGI podiums with <laughs> monsters. Yeah, I know, right? Because Lord of the Rings was like the same, made exactly the yeah. same time. You know, I know he's a big Lord of the Rings fan, but even he must have had some cognitive dissonance as to which story he was <laughs> Who in. Who am I he's, today? He's doing exactly the same, the like same that... thing. He's addressing <laughs> monsters from a podium. What was that quote that you said Patrick Stewart had about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. energize. No, that's not no, what we say here. No, yes. Uh, <laughs> he said engage. No, we don't say that in this room, do we? In this room, we say energize. Yes. <laughs> that's a great blooper. I just yeah. would love to see him in his full Lord of the Rings get up and, and saying, I wish Qui-Gon were here now. It's like, I'm yeah. sorry, Chris, Christopher. <laughs> Oh, shit. Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry. Every time I think of him as Saruman, is that the name of the... Sa- yeah. The, I think of the, the, the behind-the-scenes clip of Peter Jackson um, talking about how Christopher Lee gave him stabbing notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, he tried to... He, he When he... he um, when he... When, <laughs> At some point, some character, I don't really know the movies well enough to say which which one, gets stabbed in the back. Mm-hmm. And Peter Jackson had him do, like, you know, a full, the character do a full, like, Hollywood, you know, the kind of what happens when you stab a character in a Hollywood movie. And Christopher yeah. Lee, of course, who'd, you know, been involved with wartime espionage and, and uh, you know, right. had actually stabbed people and probably been stabbed too, was just like, that's not what happens when you get stabbed. Yeah, the air just goes right out of your body. So that's why in the movie you can't say anything. There's like no sound, no yeah, no sound comes out of the this, and it's all down to Christopher Lee because he was like, no, 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 that's not how you stab someone. Yeah, exactly. You learned that from Turner and Hooch. (laughs) I think I think Peter Jackson said Christopher Lee came to me and said, "Do you know what happens when a person is stabbed?" (laughs) Just like, no, Christopher, please tell me. I, I'm I, I'm worried right now, but yeah. I have to ask the question. No, what happens? I tell you what. Why don't we take a break? Because we're getting to the the big set piece. We yeah, we've had the what would we say the trailer for the 
Yeah, we've had, we've had yeah, the trailer. Yeah, why the hell did they think there piece? wasn't enough action? I don't know. Then the rest so of the stupid. movie is pure action. Yeah. <laughs> we would have gotten to it sooner. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break and then we'll get back to it. All right. Right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here finishing up with Attack of the Clones. All right. And we're getting to the... the part of the movie where the clones attack <laughs> finally uh, but the title seems to defense. me to imply that that it would be attacking the good guys though well the, it depends again depends on your definition of clones it's, it's an obi-wan certain point of view situation right <laughs> right they're called the clone wars because it's robots versus Genetic clones, other robots. Yeah, ro- or yeah, that's true. I don't know. Uh, maybe again, maybe this is a bits fly, bits of Jabba flying off the sail barge. <laughs> because I've never substantiated this. I've only ever said it to myself in my own head. Yeah. But I always assumed it's the Clone Wars because both sides are essentially some form of cloned either technology or biology. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Me and George Lucas were on the same wavelength. I think that's what I'm learning. But in this one, they're they're attacking mostly bugs. <laughs> mostly bugs. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's yeah, and uh, like I said, the story of the prequels is unnecessary flying creatures, right? And and the scene is, though I love this scene, it is full of them. I mean, there's the bugs hiding in the walls. That I I like I love that moment, and and I also think that it's such a shame that it descends into a scene like the droid factory because I love the moment when they come out of the of the cave it's real aliens yeah exactly like kind of horror mo- and and that and that would also set up the monster movie set piece that we're about to That's get a, much about, better yeah, that than, you're getting to than having you know a, a super mario brothers and oh I'm, i gotta say something about this this final battle scene and you know obviously i hope so we got nothing else to talk about yeah but. yeah but <laughs> Well, I just want to talk about it in juxtaposition with 
with Sith because mm. nothing has ever really bothered me more in a Star Wars movie, I think, than watching in the next film poor Ewan McGregor riding some long-necked beast like a horse. Yeah. Everything about it just reads poor choice to me. And yet you're seeing similar creatures in this mm. battle scene, but they all work better to me. Yeah. it's And again, it, it's so clear that it's meant to be a celebration of uh, cinematic creature design, right? I mean, there's nods mm -hmm. to Ray Harryhausen. There's nods to the Dinosaur B movies. Yeah. One of them looks just like a critter. So there's even more kind yeah, of modern, right. re modern monster movie references. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised we didn't get a gremlin or something like that at some point. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like enter the monsters and, you know, in this arena, in this, you know, CGI well, that's the thing. I, world. It yeah, sort of I, all makes, it, it makes, you're right, it makes sense in context. Whereas what in the next movie, it seems like the creatures trivialize what's going on. Right, yeah. And this is this has got worse as the more we've learned about Obi-Wan because in the Obi-Wan TV series, at one point, you know, the Inquisitor who turns out to be one of the kids who was slaughtered at the... Mm -hmm. Jedi, who, who, well, who wasn't slaughtered. Well, yeah, who, the slaughter, who survived the slaughter. Who survived it at the Jedi Temple during Order 66 um, says to him, you know, where were you where, at that time? And someone did a great meme on um on social media which was just like the the next frame was there was obi-wan on that lizard thing because <laughs> <laughs> that was literally what he was doing so it doesn't look good right yeah it right yeah i was being a buckaroo <laughs> <laughs> whereas you know the the there are kind of high stakes here there are kind Especially of high stakes as, so... as the scene goes on yeah, as the scene goes on, and it becomes clear that this is going to be the first battle in a war. In a war, essentially. Yeah. And what I, I what I find interesting is that this is usually when I'm the most frustrated with with George Lucas and prequels when when mm. almost everything you're watching is not real. Yeah. So they're not, you know, in a real arena. There's not real rocks. There's not real pillars. There's not. <laughs> real bugs yeah. there's not real creatures the only thing that's real is the amount of skin that you can see on natalie on portman natalie body. portman yeah exactly <laughs> but i you know it, and it's it's not like this is done way better than anything or everything else it's not like the cgi looks better but for whatever reason something gels within it in which I buy it a little bit more, or yeah. it doesn't rub me as wrong as most other things might. I don't know. So there's just I, you know, there's there's something interesting within it, where I I give normally I would not give the end of this movie a break, and I do. I think you've already given given the reason is that you know it it it's everything everything is unreal. Uh huh. And that unreality is heightened to the nth degree. Right. Yeah. That's part. I of mean it. you. There's this sort of nothing like it's it's it this the 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 monster part of this scene is just all vicarious pleasure, right? It's just it's the perfect way to 
perfect excuse for excessive and brutal fight um violence going under the radar in a kids film because mm-hmm. the stuff that's happening it's like extreme violence that's happening yeah, right. on screen but because it's monsters and it's fantasy and nothing's real it's okay mm-hmm. and i appreciate that and and schlock is the only goal here like it's not aiming for anything higher you really than that. think so he's think... going for schlock though because i think it's schlocky oh, but oh yeah i think you know again i think i think it's he, he's in my to... mind i always picture lucas believing he's creating high art <laughs> not in not in this moment and and i think uh, what i like about this movie is i think he lets go of that mm. and again it's just like you know w- whatever he can wedge in that's like pulp fiction you know the pulp fiction of his of his childhood now you keep saying pulp fiction i want you to know that some people are thinking about john travolta yeah and bruce willis oh yeah <laughs> so you know po- oh we could you uh, popular popular genre fiction is another way go. of putting it you know Mo- and monster movies film noir romance novel novellas you know the traditionally derided popular culture mm-hmm and that's what it all fit on that level. It all fits together to me. And then the, this this scene is a is is a love letter, a celebration to, you know, monster movies from King Kong to I hope so, Son of Sinbad. It, well, and I, I yeah, I, to your point, I think you said earlier, it just it reminds me of Hammer Horror kind of yeah stuff. Absolutely. And I you know that part of it I really like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and you got Christopher Lee up there as the ringmaster, so. right? I, again, I think that's totally deliberate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you're gonna, your, your villain is Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy, <laughs> right? And he's he's the guy, you know, he's he's the ringmaster in an arena full of monsters. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's so clear to me that this is all just about fun, schlocky adventure. <laughs> I don't understand why people would resist that low-hanging fruit and just enjoy themselves and just go with the flow i mean all the stuff like it's taming like the taming the beast i know yeah it's like straight out of a you know the the kind of 60s greek epic Mm -hmm. uh, adaptations um that ray harryhausen did the you know the stop motion monsters for uh, it also, it's like another, you know, it's like the Rancor scene in Jedi. It's another mm-hmm. hero's yeah, right. trial moment. It's trying to give Anakin the equivalent sort of hero-making moment. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's just like, he's got to do this so the three of them survive, and if they all died, nothing would really change. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like it's higher stakes because, you know, it, again, it's got that, that sense of like, he, he's the hero who has to overcome these challenges. Right. And also he fell off that steroid horse earlier on, so <laughs> he's got something to prove in front of Padme. <laughs> yeah. <he's laughs> to gotta... re- re- reclaim his manhood, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, well... Mind and... you, I think, is she more embarrassed that he fell off the steroid horse or that he killed all those women and children? <laughs> Probably the steroid horse, right? <laughs> Based on what, how George focuses his attention, yeah, I like that moment where he has her jump down and they kiss. Well, to the horse. And, uh, so amazingly you know, stupid. Uh, so amazingly stupid. Um, 
and also you know the 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 midriff exposure you know like oh yeah you, the like again sort of trying to work in the excuse of a, of a monster you know like biting it off right of all things like <laughs> <laughs> it also it's a plausible seemed, deniability for George. That's what Lucas. I was gonna say. I thought you know, to, in my mind, there. I think there's a portion of 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 the plausible deniability for George Lucas where he says, "Well, he, she's not in the bikini. Everybody was upset about that." So, you know, just yeah. it got torn off. I mean, what you know, it's a yeah, dangerous that's moment. Exact, you know, that's is it exactly. That is exactly <laughs> what he's. Uh... But we all know what it's there for. Yeah, we do. Also, because it's like, I forgot as well that it it starts off as a perfectly appropriate outfit and then becomes yeah right, like a um a, a too sexy outfit <laughs> through monster monster ravaging. <laughs> if it was just a if it if that was just the outfit outfit, I I think it'd be a different discussion. You'd just be like, is it appropriate to dress it that way? Not really, but you know. I'm gonna it's have a, a subset bit, of my wardrobe. It's a little, you know, fan. This is kind of how women dress in fantasy stuff, and that's <laughs> right. okay. But uh, the fact that you know it, it's part of the plot that her clothes are ripped off her. That's, <laughs> I mean, again, very much in the spirit of the genre. You know, the the fur, you know, Raquel Welsh's fur bikini and yeah, um, right, Barbarella BC. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not something that necessarily. It's not something that a modern day movie needs to worry too much about reviving. Yeah, right. <laughs> in terms of the pleasures of the genre, you know, we can yeah. we can we can move past certain things when they're just deeply sexist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, you know, and and maybe she was being held hostage. Maybe she had a gun to her head. But Natalie Portman really liked the ability to be to do action while dressing sexily. She talked about mm. how she liked that dynamic. Uh, in the in the making of stuff, she said she likes the fact that you know I can dress like a woman, but still you know be in charge of a of a mission. Yeah. So yeah, and I you know that. they. I'll take they, that at face value. I mean, you right. know, it's an official Lucasfilm production, but it doesn't seem like they're making anyone say anything they don't want to say that they don't want to do or say. Yeah, and in addition. I kind of like th that moment uh, where Hayden Christensen's saying, well, what about Padme? <laughs> and Obi-Wan just sort of offhandedly says, she looks like she's fine. Yeah, she's on top of things. She's on top yes. of things. And then the the Jedi arrive. I know. We see Mace Windu's Mace Windu slowly walk up. Which he also campaigned for. Mm -hmm. This was his... He uh, George didn't want to give him... Uh, George said... There's a clip of him saying... Uh, you'll either get red or you'll get... Oh, no, you'll either get green or you'll get blue. That's it. And Sam Jackson's like, that's Man, it, green or purple. blue. And he, and he said, maybe you'll get purple. <laughs> and that's how it came about. That's he great. Had to campaign for it. This party's over. Yeah, I think I see Ahsoka in this crowd. You know, as we said when we discussed the clone, the the clone. I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember. Yeah, I think. But I do have the. I do have the feeling. Maybe it's just the actors. Maybe not being completely up to portion. There, there. I, I see some Jedi in some parts of these fights, where I'm thinking to myself, man, they scrape the bottom of the barrel, the Jedi barrel for these Jedi. 
They seem to be struggling with the. Well, we know we know from the opening crawl they have resource problems, and this <laughs> That's is true. This, this is those resource problems in evidence, right? We've yeah. got like we've got like third, fourth tier Jedi's here. <laughs> we've got the naval reserve Jedi's, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've got the Jedi, like the naval reserve from the you know the last detail of the Robert Town movie here. I am the fucking Shore Patrol. <laughs> what a great movie that is. One of the greatest movies of the 70s. Good shit. I, I get a real kick out of seeing Jedis on this scale fighting. I feel like this is where we should have started in Phantom Menace. Mm. Like, I appreciate that they built up to this, but, you know, I didn't need a whole movie of them sitting in lounges. Yeah, I'll say. Be, yeah, I wanted them to be sort of. This is this is how I imagined we'd we'd encounter the Jedi for the first time. You know, right? In a in a battle scenario on a on a on a big scale. remote planet. Yeah, so it feels kind of un, both unprecedented. You know, it's upping the ante. Obviously, it's more Jedi than we've ever seen before in one place. Mm-hmm. But, um, I I really I think I think it works. I think it's exactly. It, it's exactly the kick that this trilogy needs to take it to another level. Yeah, but it's, you know, like we never go back to it. Well, there, I mean, again, like, this is, this is the, the problem. You get your like, one shot and done. Yeah, this is definitely the peak of it. Because right. they're all, <laughs> as we can see from the number of Zoom meetings there are in the next film, all this Jedi has spread across <laughs> the galaxy. Um <laughs> So they all dis, but so this is like you know it's like in the but it reminds me of like the Muppet movie where you see all the Muppets on screen for the first time and it's like oh mm-hmm. the, you know like we never got this in the Muppet show it was never you could never have yeah, right. two Muppets at a time <laughs> now you can see them all in one shot and that's how it feels for me and obviously the C three PO you know C three PO's that now a Jar Jar surrogate right for, for for the purposes of this scene. Yeah, you're right. And it's all, and everything's awful. You could you could cut a you could cut out everything involving C three PO in this scene. And of it course, would be, it would be better. At least it's at least it's inessential to what's going on. Unlike Jar Jar, who is in charge of one of the major one of the main fronts. battles. <laughs> Just fucking shit up. You know, it's he's not Captain. You know, he's not General C three PO of the. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I get, although I guess when he gets into the droid army, he kind of is. But anyway, it's all, <laughs> it's all very badly done. That part of it, I like that. This is sort of a the sort of a apology for how Boba Fett dies in quotations in Return of the Jedi here that. Yeah, Django, Django sort of dies because he's outclassed by a better warrior. Sure. As opposed to you know his rocket going up because slapstick. Mm-hmm. That's it's a better send off for the for effect. It's a better send off. There's always a part of me that wants his head to roll out of that helmet, though. You know, make it show it as terrible as it really is. But that's it. You can't. That's what you can't do in, a, in this kind of movie. And that's why the, that's why the monsters are such a genius move because you can do what you fucking want when it's CGI monsters. Right. They can they they can be like you know drawing as much blood as as necessary. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it with like real human heads. I guess not. And you know they're still like they're again the you know the the George Lucas refuses to let refuses to admit that. A, a joke is not working. 
we go back to the negotiations bit. I know. The negotiations yeah. takes like he refuses. It's like this wasn't funny the first time. It's definitely not funny now, George. <laughs> the the other thing that's really bad about C three PO shtick is it's not doesn't feel like C three PO. Mm-hmm. Because. He he's accidentally making a lot of puns, which is not something I associate with C three PO. Actually, now that you say that, C three PO doesn't feel very C three PO throughout no. this entire trilogy. No. And it's maybe, like they're missing the essential part of C three PO. You know. Um. You know, we'll find out next year, but maybe, maybe. Uh, some of the some of the sequels, uh, Disney sequels, actually do a better job with the character of C three PO. Maybe, maybe, maybe. it's always a, it's a possibility. This is a, yeah. we're a it's a low bar. I like this moment though, where Dooku stops the stops yes. the fight and says, <laughs> I've got here that asks them Lee, to surrender. Lee's voice and words totally carry the scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a, it just adds a touch of class. It does, doesn't it? Really, it's a great palate cleanser. Yeah, we've had action. We're about to go into another action scene. Yeah, right. We have three. We have three set pieces back to back to back. Monster action into military action. So we need this palate cleanser in the middle. And also, it's pretty much exactly what I remember he does in Lord of the Rings when he's addressing the orcs. Yeah, he did the same thing. (laughs) Something similar. All right, all right. Everyone, settle down. Settle down. Now go off and kill people. (laughs) And then you know, the storm, (laughs) the stormtroopers are our heroic cavalry. Yeah, show up with Yoda. If that's not an inversion, I don't know what is. <laughs> They're like, yay, the cavalry are here. And that's the definition troopers. of an inversion. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there's so much dramatic irony going on here. Yoda is in charge of the stormtroopers. They're the yeah, heroes. we're supposed to hate them. The day. Yeah. <laughs> we get Boba holding up his dad's head. Yeah. Is this where you wanted the head to fall out? Because I think that would be unintentionally comic if it did. <laughs> no, I have to admit, I had both thoughts. It just slops yeah. out. <laughs> when you have that close-up of it rolling, I thought it would be great if it was just like... <laughs> yeah. And then when he picked it up, I thought, fall out, fall out, fall out! Maybe it's, again, maybe it's anticipating Lego Star Wars and, you know, you can never get the head out of the helmet. Yeah. You always have to, right. like, use your teeth to yeah. get it out. <laughs> And then and then you fuck up the edge of the of the of the Lego head and it never fits and it never fits on a body ever. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I I again, uh, people for some reason are offended by this image of Boba holding up his dad's head and you know swearing, swearing revenge essentially, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the implication. I was like, I don't. It's not like they linger on it for a long time, or it's that important, right? It's just... Yeah, I mean... It... Again, they're just sort of connecting the dots in a not very interesting way, but... Sure, right, yeah. But As Lucas tends to do. It doesn't offend me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. But it doesn't me. offend me, no. No. People are triggered on behalf of Boba. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, people... Again, people have commented, and I think this is legitimate, that it doesn't really make sense that the Jedi's wouldn't wouldn't have suspicions about the origins of the these stormtroopers and how they came into Yeah, I know, yeah. 
why they would just be happy. It's, happy it's so, just it, to... Yeah, it's just so strange that the Jedi are dumb enough Windu to say... Clearly, Windu is behind this. Yeah, the, the, the Jedi are dumb enough to say, oh, so there's some troopers for us? Yeah. Great! We could use some yeah. troopers, you know? So it's very, it's it's kind of I don't know if it's just like I can never figure out when I when I watch this back like whether this was what Lucas planned the whole time or whether he just had kind of written himself into a corner and this was the only way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Because there's no mention of like obviously Yoda is uncomfortable with the idea of war. And the Jedi yeah. being, you know, being uh, soldiers, when there's no sense that he's that they have any suspicions. That, yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. That the enem- that their enemies have created these these stormtroopers, <laughs> and uh, right. there's likely to be some kind of they're likely to be working against them. I'd like one person to say, "Let's check out uh, any of the background code." Hmm. You know, with uh, well, I guess it's I, it's not computer, but you know, maybe within the DNA. <laughs> well, I mean, yo, so we're meant to think Yoda's gone to Camino, and then he said, like, what? What has he said to the uh, interdimensional beings? Yeah, we don't get what, that scene. It's like, did, did so? He these go, are for us, right? Yeah, did he did he go? <laughs> I'm here to pick up my, you know, I'm here to pick up my clones. Mm-hmm. Or did he feel them out? And and he was like, okay, I buy that. That you know, Cyphodius thought we might need them, so he created this in advance. And I guess right. now we need them. I guess he was. You don't there. ever I, like, really don't get a any of this would help. You don't ever really get a sense because. Obi-Wan Kenobi just says that he died 10 years ago. We don't get a sense of how he died or if he had been up to some shenanigans or any, you know what I mean? Like, was he in favor or out of favor with the Jedis or anything like that, right? You don't get that kind of information. I think he was, wasn't he? I mean, I I know what actually happened is that they, you know, they, they had him as a character and then wrote him out and then decided they could use him as a kind of a plot device. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I just assumed that he was, that he was a stooge in all this and that they killed him when they were done with him. Okay. But I might be thinking of the fugitive. <laughs> How that turns out. <laughs> well, Dooku is gonna, you know, go into his little room and get the Death Star plans to take off on his speeder. Um, I I want to point out we get a new we get a new uh, both a new droid and a new walker in this scene. And you know, typical typical of these prequels, <laughs> it's got spider legs. Yeah, right. It looks like something from War of the Worlds, but not necessarily the H.G. Wells version or any of the movie versions. But the Thin Lizzy musical. Have you ever heard that? The, oh you know, no! The, like the the double album. Mm-mm. The musical version narrated by Richard Burton. No. Well, well worth your time. Okay. And the illustrations on the cover look just like that. That you know the big tripod. The tripod. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So like new new Walker. Who this? <laughs> and we also see so and we get a little bit of new Gunray, don't we? Like he's still a little. Like, yeah. The... Does he get killed? Does Dooku kill him? He... He's still got or... the racist accent. Not yet, no. He doesn't get killed until the end of Sith. Oh, that's right, yeah. But he's still got the racist accent. 
He does, yeah. So, again, do over double down. He's kind of in the background, but still very, very much You don't have to hear him a lot, but when you do, he'll still be a racist stereotype. Again, I think George Lucas thinks it's all right, like, to bring back an unpopular character as long as everyone else in the movie interrupts them. Because Dooku is like, nope, nope, let it go. Shut, nope. shut up, please. <laughs> shut your dirty pie hole. <laughs> nope, too racist, too racist. I always laugh when the... Dooku gets on that speeder and speeds away. <laughs> I know there's something about it that it is unintentionally doesn't... funny. I think you know what I think it is. I think he's far too elegant for something. That, that might be it. That, that You're pe- right. That, that might be it. Yeah. He looks very regal on that scooter, yeah. and it is not a regal scooter. <laughs> exactly. He needs to be on one of those mod bikes from Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. <laughs> but before before he escapes, before he escapes, we have we, we see him smuggling out the Death Star design. Yeah. Right. From so they got you know uh, I don't know what he's called, uh, Mister Click, you know the <laughs> yeah the who, who's like a he's like a character from a Bug's Life sort of yeah he's Kevin Spacey from a Bug's Life but old. Is <laughs> he has the name of a walking stick? Anyway, it's not <laughs> worth getting into. But this was a this was gilding the lily here. This is this the the their the designs even though it's at the design stage. This is far too soon in the timeline for them even to be considering this. See, because... I don't. I always wonder, you know, because like I, they have a lot of resources. I'll, I'll admit it. But even from Star Wars to Jedi, I, I think, yeah, the Emperor's pissed. But man, it seems like they've done a lot of work in a short period yeah. of time. That, but that's what doesn't make sense here. It's like what was like. And, but to me, it, takes it always 20, twenty years to build the first one, twenty-five years to build the first one, and then six months to build the second one. The second one, yeah, exactly. And so it just it seems like the twenty five years would be more accurate. We have to go we go back to your, you know, bits of Jabba type theory that, you know, they were <laughs> building one before that and we just That's didn't right. know about it. But it forced I think it forced the hand of Rogue One to to, you know, explain why it took so long to build it after twenty years, because when Mm-hmm space ben mendelson arrives at galen erso's shack at the beginning uh-huh. of the film he's he's like he's like you're the like you're the only one who can build this we don't know how to take it any further so the idea is it's like you know it's just sitting there as scaffolding for like 10 years or something <laughs> right <laughs> before galen erso gets on it and then of course he puts in the he puts in the, the exhaust port port that's right yeah that was never there until it was so I felt I feel like I feel like that you know, again you could have cut this and it would have saved it. It's bad enough that it appears at the end of Sith, I think, because it looks very far along at that point. Yeah, right. But definitely here. I mean, the Clone Wars haven't even started yet, except for this one battle. If you well, count, yeah, it. this is the this is you know this is the beginning of uh, well <laughs> I don't know. Yoda hasn't done the official opening yeah. ceremony yet. That happens at the. You know, we got the Clone Wars opening ceremony at the end of the, like, directed by Danny Boyle. (laughs) And, you know, again, so Fleck that this, this part of this movie and this part of the movie gets is that these battle scenes are overly busy. But I think there's only a couple of shots where it's so excessive, it's actively hard to watch. The rest of it, I think, is okay. 
Yeah, I kind of fall in between. You know, there are moments where I it, it is busy. There are moments where it looks fine. But for the most part, I'm I find myself not engaged. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I oh yeah, I understand. I, I think I remember seeing like an honest trailers for this movie, and yeah. you know that they 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 pick the you know the two second shot where it you know it's just in visually insane what's going on there's so much going on and i'm like yeah but it is really just a few seconds every few minutes it's not the uh-huh. whole sequence and yeah it's not representative i don't think of... all right fine but you know they shouldn't have let they shouldn't have have let it get to that point but at least they pull back from it i guess to, to me it, the the problem with it is that it always you know, it it feels like you're you're trying to create a set piece after your set piece. But it, and yeah. you know, but if you take out the droid, you've factory, had your big ending. Just, I think it's it's. Still but I realize it's like sequence. we have to get to the saber fight. But oh, even yeah. that's not going to be. You know, that's that is. That, yeah, we that's we've got. We're, <laughs> I was just I was about to argue that it's like no, it still feels like part of the same sequence. But when you add in. The, the two lightsaber jewels that are about to follow him. Like, that is a hat on a hat on a hat. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, can't, I, I can't argue against that. No. I just forgot that. I always forget. I just like, I I, th- I always feel like the Stormtrooper thing is going to lead into the end of the movie. And then I go, oh, no, we've got to have like two no, yeah, we have jewels. We have about 15 minutes of nonsense left, including sword fights. And again, like, you know, Jedi not learning their lesson. A Jedi Master and his apprentice going after a Sith Lord. Yep. It's like, did you learn nothing from Phantom Menace? <laughs> what do you think of this whole um, Obi-Wan letting Padme die uh, setup? You know, intellectually... I like you that know- he choose. I like that he chooses to, to, let, to let her die. I don't think it makes sense in terms of the next movie, but... Yeah. Since, since he, will, he will literally become a fascist ruler of the galaxy so that she will live. <laughs> it seems that at this point, again, unless it's another, like, I'll never make that mistake again. Right. Kind of moment. But it's not, it just feels like, again, it's like the Jedi are dicks. They're always going to make you choose between the thing right. that you want. But I guess for me, right. it always falls a little flat because there's never a moment where I think, well, she landed on soft sand. She's going to be fine. You landed on soft sand. Why good. are we in another? Why are we in another sand-based planet anyway? I thought this was like a rock planet. Yeah. Did they think accidentally forget they weren't on Tatooine? <laughs> they just made it red. They're just like I just like you know I forgot where we are in the movie. I'm just gonna guess and say Tatooine. Right. <laughs> Fifty seventy-five percent of the time I'll be correct. But I you know speaking to what you were saying earlier you know to me it's it's one of these things where they they try to bring drama to a moment where yeah you know there's there's not enough in that inciting incident to you know make it as dramatic as i think he wants it to be and yet yeah. you know it but it's it's also it just doesn't like his choice i mean obviously they've got to get him to the dooku fight yeah right but or there should have at least been some sense of that he has great resentment that he had to make that choice. And, right, exactly. And that it's all all that kind of resentment is bubbling up and mm-hmm. I just wish that they'd that they threaded the needle a little more on Anakin's you know But again, like you know, de- part decaying psychological state. 
Yeah, part part of I think what's going on here is Lucas wants moments. You know, he's obvious. Obviously, he's building towards something, and we know that that's Vader. Mm. But it's this movie's own fault that the story. You know, Lucas chooses to separate Obi Wan and mm. and uh, and Anakin. That's what and, you do in a in a in the in the second movie in the trilogy in the Star Wars. Always, yeah, right. <laughs> Even in Last Jedi, is the same thing. But if they were, you know, and it's if they were together, and the the kind of back and forth that they're having at the beginning of the movie, and and mm. you you know you could lay you could lay more breadcrumbs towards this moment. That's true, but at this point, I think in a way that I think would be more meaningful. And then at this point, I think he just re- represents Jedi douchery, um, mm-hmm. the kind of Jedi douchery that he that Anakin will eventually pin on Obi Wan. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, with good reason, but you know, Windu and Yoda are far more culpable than Obi Wan is. Yeah, for his um, re- making him repress all his emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then uh, yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic this. This uh, Dooku, it's funny too because it it it's only Gigi obligatory so that we can get to Yoda, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. So it has to I be get... over quickly. Well, so it, you... I, I only just thought of this, but you know, it's like a, a, again the sort of feeling that you need to have a a trailer for your set piece as well as the actual set yeah, piece. Yeah, right. Like yeah, droid, exactly. Yeah, the droid factory leads into the monster scene. Mm-hmm. The monster scene is the trailer for the uh, is the teaser the for chase. the chase. Um, for the chase, and then the chase is sort of the yeah. And we've got to the two fight lightsaber duels back to back, and certainly, I mean, duel of the fates. The beats are the same, mm-hmm. but done more fluently and done as one coherent set piece that you know yeah. has a start point, an end point, and a middle. Here right. it feels more muddy. It's certainly like for sure. it feels like it's like we we go fast, then we go slow, then we go fast, and then we go slow. And it's like you can well, never... and also you know, I the one thing that the uh, the original trilogy does so well is the idea of a young Jedi versus a master Jedi. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, Luke's not helpless. <laughs> he's mm. he the Force is strong with him. He he does. He's had you know, ten minutes of training. Yeah, exactly, and He's he does in well. Scary cave. Even in Empire, that is a great, it's you a know, great light, league, yeah. lightsaber fight. It's a real and yeoman's so, effort from from Luke. Yeah, Star exactly. Luke. And so the idea that two Jedi, even though they're not working as a team, and that's the you know that you know, it, it's because of you know G- George Lucas insists on Anakin's hot headedness as the reason why Dooku can dispatch with them so quickly. Mm. But based on what I've seen in other Star Wars movies, Obi-Wan especially, and even Anakin, they should be more capable even against Dooku. But it's, you know, it's all wiped clean because we just have to get to Yoda. So in that way, it's muddy. Yeah, I I like, so a couple of things that I do, like I like that it's scaled down from the Phantom Menace. I think that they're not trying to, they're not trying to beat the Phantom Menace at its own game, right? Mm-hmm. They're sort of saying that that sequence was what it was. This is going to be more sort of character-based, you know, storytelling kind of based action rather than just sort of full-on martial arts display. Mm-hmm. 
So I like that. I think you could have still all done all of what he wanted to do and made it more interesting, though. I think they I could have attacked yeah. together. I think it could have lasted maybe three or four minutes longer. Oh, wow. Don't hear that often about this movie. I know. Especially if you cut out the droid factory scene. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> If if you do that, you would still have those essential elements of of a lightsaber fight in a Star Wars movie, and still get to Yoda, because the Yoda part is is truly fun to watch. Okay, I'm glad you. I'm glad I didn't know how you felt about it. I feel the same, <laughs> unsurprisingly. I, <laughs> I I like Teenage Mutant Ninja Yoda. Yeah. I think also that sort of, again, like everything's happening either too quickly or not quickly enough because like Obi-Wan gets his ass handed to him and it was only like 10 like years so ago. so quickly, right. That he was like, this is this is how I expect Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan to be dispatched, not yeah, right. Ewan McGregor, who is still a young man, mm-hmm. right? And the way that they sort of accelerate, I, I don't know. None of it. It makes doesn't sense. sit well with me. It doesn't like you know, and they've never. I don't even out... think Anakin should be dispatched as quickly as Obi Wan no. is. No, and with the Obi Wan aging thing, I mean, it's like, I guess, <laughs> I guess they were counting on Gilbert McGregor aging more rapidly than he did. Yeah, in the maybe. in the twenty years since he since he did this, that's sort of that's a kind of a you know that that's provided a bit of a a narrative <laughs> problem. But still, they're all over the place. You know, by by the next movie, he's basically the Obi Wan that we see at the end, at the beginning of New Hope. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, and then and then ten years later, he's gone back to how he looks here. So it they, they never they've never figured out how to successfully age right. the character over the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And what they've done since the prequels in terms of spin-offs has just made it far, far worse. Um, sure. But, you know, even even if he was aging like a normal human, Ewan McGregor <laughs> still wouldn't have caught up with Alec Guinness after know, 20 yeah. year, a 20-year gap. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I, I'll, I'll, pref- I'll, I'll preface what I have to say about the... Teenage Mutant Ninja Yoda, which I do like, probably you know I know it's a divisive issue in fact in Star Wars fandom. Uh, I would have loved if he stayed true to what Lucas said originally that that all his Force talents are motion based, right? That mm-hmm. that he doesn't. I I I would have I would have been really happy if they were if they just you know if George Lucas stuck to his guns and said you know Yoda doesn't have a lightsaber, he doesn't use a lightsaber, he his command of the force is manifest differently but given that we've gone through it i think it's it's fun and cool and yeah i like seeing this little see i feel two different ways about it because (laughs) you know the the all the nonsense they do before they get to lightsabers you know i i get it intellectually and i you know i i i just think it's boring to watch them float things at each other and Swish them away. Like Fruit Ninja. Yeah, exactly. The The lightning part is, is more interesting to me because I, I like the idea of Yoda yeah. just kind of catching it within his hands and it could have stayed that, shuffling right? it, it off. Just been, been and it could have stayed them. with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what Lucas originally said about Yoda that that and that all the Jedi have not all Jedi. Well, I suppose that we've blown that already because every every Jedi we've seen in the past ten minutes of the film has had a lightsaber. So I guess right. it's clear where we're going with this. They've also mentioned Yoda's swordsmanship in an offhand comment during the car chase. Yeah, right. So. I, so the spinning, jumping Yoda, I like on the level of, you know, uh, a callback to judge me by my size, do you? Yeah, right. From Empire Strikes Back. And I think this is the, the I, I like I like it as a statement of it doesn't matter that he's this small frog. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he can kick ass with the best. He, of them, he, yeah, but, exactly. But once it gets going, it again, it sort of has that droid factory problem of feeling just very video game. Like the mm-hmm. way he's spinning and jumping, like someone is operating him with a joystick. Sure. The stuff I like, stuff I don't like, but I'm not opposed to it at all. Mm-hmm. In the way some people are. I-, I like that it's surprising. You know, I like that it is a mm-hmm. another sort of inversion of expectations. There's a lot of that in this movie, and a lot of it, I think, comes up. Well, because i think we talked uh, you know i'll mention friend of the show matt aldrich again i think in whatever maybe uh it's not going to support whatever argument you're about to make go whatever <laughs> whatever uh other movies we've done with them at one point i remember him mentioning you know you you want surprises in your movie but you don't want ever to have an unpleasant surprise yeah well and, that's what that's what we talk about all the time isn't it it's yeah. like when you do and then if you, if you sometimes you can do an inversion for its own sake and it and it's just the wrong choice you know yeah. it's just a it's just another a, a, just a different version of a wrong choice mm-hmm. but in this case know. it's a pleasant surprise to see yeah and people you know how capable a, he was and they people treat it like an you know a sort of newt the fridge moment and i really don't see it like that no i don't either anakin loses half an arm mhm which I don't know if it's a callback, upping the ante, or a flash forward. <laughs> Technically, all three. All three. I, yeah, I yeah. was gonna say. I think it's all three. Yeah. Uh, and and it, you know, this. I is... see your hand and raise you a forearm, sir. And things do end differently from Jewel of the Fates. So, mm-hmm. in the last movie, they killed the Sith. Well, as far as as far as they were aware, they <laughs> as the far Sith. as we knew at the time. Yeah, but lost lost a jedi here the jedis are both saved but the the sith lord gets away Mm -hmm. not that we know he's a sith lord at this point they only learn that in retrospect but i think we do know is it the force we just haven't been told huh the force lightning that's the giveaway the force lightning the taking of the plans (laughs) you know there's a lot can good jedi can jedi oh i know kind of yeah like can is it rabbit hole is is it's a rabbit hole, isn't it? Forget it. Forget because it. because all you ever see is you only see force lightning as evil. So to see a good Jedi throw that shit out of their hands would maybe maybe make you uncomfortable. And I don't. Well, I guess I guess Dooku is the established villain at this point. But if you look at it objectively, there's still a possibility that he's just a either a stooge or you know he's just disillusioned with the Jedi like. Everyone mm-hmm. should be <laughs> for for cause. I'm leaving they, you for cause. Yeah. And that you know this the. And again, like you know, especially when we get into the next movie, you'd be like, "No, you know what? I think I think I'd rather be a separatist than a." <laughs> 
than a republic. There's someone defending the republic. All right. Dooku's ship, I think we mentioned this in the previous episode, very steampunk, right? It's, it's Yeah, like, very. Especially that parachute comes out, and I'm not really sure of the function <laughs> of it. I know. I mean, do you need a parachute in space? I'm not sure. I remember seeing that in the preview. Oh, really? Going, yeah. But it kind of reminds me of... Uh, in the flying machines. Remember yeah. so long ago when we watched 2010? Kind of reminds me of that. When was the parachute there? Uh, or was it... I don't know. Some sort of parachute that comes out, I think, to maybe slow yeah. down the ship. Oh, well, yeah. yeah I, I, like, you know, I'm sure they use parachute parachutes in our space travel yeah i guess i guess what yeah well again maybe maybe um i just assume that everything to do with space in the star wars movies ignores real world physics so when you see like a parachute it's like you can't have it both ways right if you observe (laughs) physical reality it's no air in space there's no in (laughs) between there's an air and space museum um (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and he goes back to uh, Palpatine yeah and once again everything's coming together just as he saw it and is this and that's what I can't figure out like because because I've seen it now and I know I can't remember if, if this was a confirmation of an assumption I already had because it's so confusing in terms of which side Dooku's on throughout the movie. That I don't this, think is, I never. I always think he's with Palpatine. But is that? Rich, but there's no evidence of that. And all he does is say, except speak that he to shows up and, to see him at the end. Right, but before that, do you still think he's like he's just like kind of like a rogue agent for the Jedi or for Palpatine? No, what's I mean, your question? For, for him, for him, he's like just a you know. He's just I don't like the Jedi. I don't like the Sith. Oh, so uh, literally I'm playing. The, I'm his leading own the game. separatists. Yeah. yeah. No, I always had the sense he was with Palpatine, and this is all at his behest. But he's so old to be an apprentice. <laughs> I mean, I can't get through. You know, I I could just I can't. He get should my be head the master. Yeah. He should be his own master, and then th- that maybe they join forces at some point. But yeah, but at a certain point, Tom, you just want Christopher Lee in your fucking movie. I'm not saying I don't want him in the movie, but I think he could be <laughs> in the movie without being the an apprentice who's older than the man who's his master. That's true. I feel like they could have. You could blame the ri- Phantom Menace. Always two there are. Or why couldn't he be like a kind of Tarkin-like character? Like yeah, a... exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, and then that would be even better because then it would, you would have a, you'd have a Grand Moff. Then it would know, make more sense Lee, if, if it was Lee and a Peter Cushing. If it was, there are you'd have always Dracula and Van Helsing as because it's the same for the Moff. Jedi. The Jedi are always two. There's always a master and a Padawan, so it's the same thing. But you can have more. Mm. So if he was his own master and had a Padawan, like in Clone Wars. Yeah. You know, that would make more sense. <laughs> That's never been said before. I know. If it were more yeah. like Clone Wars, it would all I can't make believe sense. it fell out of my mouth. <laughs> this has I'll tell you what's deeply unsettling, watching the Jedi watch an entire army of clones and not thinking, hmm, this makes me uncomfortable. Well, Yoda does. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
because you know when when uh, Obi Wan mentions victory, and this is this is also the part of the movie that I really respect and appreciate is that they end on a on an anti war note mm-hmm. at a time when Hollywood and America is fiercely pro war. Yeah, and it takes mainstream media years to catch up to this idea, this this ambivalence about you know about starting a war mm-hmm. and everyone be- and everyone being behind it and everyone being in favor of it and that's a creepy you know this movie recognizes that's a creepy thing and something you should be wary of yeah and that's what america you know america is unproblematically going out into iraq and afghanistan you know sure um um and they yeah, secretly this is what- wed <laughs> yeah, I, I like the I like the proto stormtroopers and the star destroyers. Right, I like the sort of militarization, the imperial theme. I mean, it's a good. I think this is a legitimate piece of the puzzle, right? Of like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is how this all began, right? And you guys, soon you guys are gonna be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> But it, yes, it ends with a droid-attended wedding. Uh, a droid-only wedding. I know. These are the they, only witnesses. They only serve their kind here. <laughs> and, you know, it's an obligatory milestone, right, in the storytelling. We need them to be... Sure. Well, actually, we don't need them to be married. They could just be... In, I don't know how the galaxy feels about living in sin. Unwed. I'm sure it's fine yeah. on Coruscant. <laughs> Looks like a pretty permissive society to me. Sure. Again, it's like ending on a very, a very romantic, romance genre note. That final mm-hmm. shot with the sweeping music and the, yeah, and the you know the the long shot, and the silhouettes. Well, we're wrapping up their love boat episode portion of their act two. Absolutely, falling in love moments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Obi Wan Private Eye ended with uh, the galaxy being yeah. launched into war, which I don't think was a twist, a twist that anyone right. saw coming. <laughs> and he thinks it was a victory. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, and uh, Obi Wan is the most pro-war of them all. Hmm. I guess you know we first find him, you know, General Kenobi. He served my father in the Clone War. Yeah. Right. So. I guess it's trying to catch up to that. Got to get there. Yeah, except Yoda, like you know, Yoda's the one who's also got the army. So you know, <laughs> it's like I understand he has buyer's remorse, but he's the one who went and went and you know filled. You went and picked him up. He filled the order. <laughs> he filled the clone yeah. order, didn't he? He was. Like... <laughs> I'm here for yes. my clones. Mm, so much interest. Here for there my is. clones, am I? <laughs> I hear all you would not believe. Uh, well that's the end of the movie there you have it yeah Attack of the Clones indeed your favorite (laughs) yes my favorite yeah my favorite not ultimately no yeah there's four movie four Star Wars movies I like more than this close to my favorite so far so far um Bearing in mind, two of those are J.J. Abrams movies. <laughs> and I guess this is a, like, the film began with a visual reference to Empire Strikes Back and it ends with one, too, because it's, because 
Empire Strikes Back is the droids and Luke and Leia. Yeah, I I do think it does harken back to me the end. Whereas Star Wars ends with the ensemble shot, and so does Phantom Menace. Right. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense in terms of Jedi and Sith. But at least up until this point, no, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> two very different. There are two very different places. Yeah, you know how Ret- Return of the Jedi ends with an old man in the desert and and then and a farting camel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, credit check. Yeah. Accepted like it was an ominous task. I was surprised, or maybe I wasn't surprised to learn that 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 there was another screenwriter. Mm. There is another, Jonathan Hales. That is surprising to me. So it's slightly inaccurate to say that George Lucas didn't collaborate with anybody, but right. again, it's I think you know minimal contribution here. He certainly didn't write it mm-hmm. on his own, which I think is interesting, uh, given that it sort of feels a bit more like a real, like a sci-fi movie outside of the Lucas. I don't know. Maybe I'm pointing too much in. Yeah, yeah. right. I wonder how much this guy contributed to the storytelling. Hmm. <laughs> ben Burt's dual roles is like as as editor have been combined into one. I think they credit him as like sound, sound you know, sound and visual editor. And it's okay. like, it's like this, we need to. <laughs> we haven't got time to credit him separately. <laughs> Again, you know the same comment I make every time about the legacy stars getting higher bill uh, billings than than they should. Um, Oliver, I don't know what Oliver Ford Davis has on George Lucas to get such a high billing. I mean, he's in seconds of this movie, <laughs> and he's right up there with Ian McDermott again. That's awesome. It must. He must have. It must be in his contract. Sound recordist, sound recordist Paul Salty Brincat. <laughs> now, is this nickname based on his personality? Get out of my booth! <laughs> right, is he a salty guy? Yeah. Or is he have the nickname because his last name is nearly Brine? There you go. <laughs> there's, a, there's a credit here that is just <laughs> thanks to all the Australian construction crew. I've noticed that in like like the credits. I noticed that credit actually. The, these the the you know we're still at a period where you want to make the credits as short as possible. So someone's gonna get mm-hmm. a kiss off, and this time it's it's the Australian <laughs> construction crew. They're the ones who get the multi credit. <laughs> One of the credits is listed as location apprentice editor. <laughs> I like to think that there's a Vader Palpatine like relationship between. <laughs> Between the editor and the apprentice <laughs> editor, so these are the location apprentice editors always trying to kill, kill, kill the uh, the location editor. That's amazing. There's a Cypher Dias like character in uh, in the credits too, because at the end it says in memory of Steve Bell, who uh, hmm. painted starships in this movie. He worked on like he oh okay he did the starship painting. And he died in a car accident near the uh, near Skywalker Ranch. So that's a bummer. He sort of he sort of left. He sort of followed a Cyphodius like path. Um, yeah, right. Uh, makes me think maybe foul play was involved. <laughs> Where was George Lucas on that day? Spe- <laughs> I was in the Skywalker Ranch, not three miles from where he died. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I don't leave my home. Special thanks, British Musicians Union. And given Lucas's history with unions, this is ha- has to be because of a waiver. <laughs> they He got their Labour non-union, and that's why they're being thanked. It's got to be. There's always something, there's always like a, a kind of quite scabby credit like that somewhere in the, you mm-hmm. know, somewhere like a, you're like, yeah, George Lucas has circumvented some union rules to get that. You you, you just know it. <laughs> That's all I have. That's it? Didn't you have one? Didn't you all have right. a credit check note? Mm, about no. bugs? Bugs? Didn't you about... Did I say that? About... Flying about bugs, flying creatures, bugs. No. Okay. No. All right. I don't think so. The only other, the only other thing I have to say about cre- you can't just walk into a room and say bugs. <laughs> True. Um, John Heard, big. <laughs> uh, oh, is that what it is? I didn't. I. I it's a long time yeah. since I've seen seen big. I. I. I'm reluctant to go back to it because I feel it might be creepy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the only other thing I have to say about the credits is in the IMAX version, they hmm. uh, they uh, they had to get it down to two under two hours, so they cut the credits and just put a. Yeah, you mentioned that they yeah. yeah, and they just put a link up to a website where you could get the credits, and I just want to say, I don't know why we've <laughs> abandoned that method of crediting people. <laughs> In this multimedia age of convergence, I feel like this would be an entirely appropriate way to get out of the movie theater faster. I like sitting and watching the credits. Yeah, but I don't want the credits to be... You know, I want it to be that ID. I want it to be like the Planet of the Apes. That's my ideal credits. You know, it's like three people. Or Jaws. And the the sound of waves. (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) It's three people and the sound of waves. It's the perfect. Exactly. That's what I mean. That's that's how you make a perfect movie. The credits have to be part of that, and you can't do that with twelve minutes of credits. You know, with fucking <laughs> caterers being give having their name up there. Like, yeah, I assume the somebody fed them. I don't care who it is. <laughs> yeah, they didn't die during filming. Someone fed them. Okay, why? Why? Right. It's gonna happen regardless of who they Somebody hire. Somebody kept reminding them to put on masks in between takes. We get it. <laughs> well, that's in a sense. I think that's. I don't know. Like, if it's just a vendor for hire, they don't need to be in the credits, right? Someone's gonna do that job. It doesn't really matter who it is. Stars assistants. Their drivers. I don't know that that's pertinent information. Yeah, marketing people. <laughs> like I get that's just their job. They're not doing the job for the reward. That's their job. They're doing the job for the salary. <laughs> so, I it's, it's all I sound awful, but I'm tired of it. It's bloated. It's too much. It is they are too long. Put a link up there. All right. All right. Take it easy. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Two down, one to go. That's Attack of the Clones. Mm. Coming up next, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I'm excited. You are? Sure. We're almost done. I'm not excited to end on such a downer. That's true. But. There's nothing you can do about that, though, is there? No. He's got to become Darth Vader. (laughs) 
You gotta burn that body. Cut off a bunch of limbs. <laughs> and really fuck them up. Hmm. That's true. Maybe that's the maybe that's the problem is that they've got to get there. We'll find the out. only question is, while we uh, talk about it, who will have the high ground? Well, there is some in terms of like quality. There is some high ground in the movie. <laughs> Not many, but but there are. Not much. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Next week. Uh huh. Stay tuned, everybody. All right. We want to know what you think of this film, though. Attack of the Clones. So uh, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, or the site that used to be known as Twitter. And this is now some other obscure piece of shit letter. Yeah, there's only so many there's only so many notifications from right-wing pundits that I can block. Uh, I think I think our time with Twitter may uh, with X may be done. Yeah, it might have to be. Send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye, Tom. Oh, this is such a drag. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. He says that because... You could cut that easy. He's being dragged. <laughs> That's the joke. I get it. To quote Radio Wolfcastle. On, on that unhappy joke note, Good night. <laughs> Take care. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.